I don't know. I figure if you can push it, you should push it. Yeah. It's non-sploitation. Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Darby. And welcome to Sacrilegiosity. So, today... We're talking about the 2021 movie Benendetta, which is a movie based on a book from 1986 called Immodest Acts, The Life of a Lesbian Nun in Renaissance Italy by Judith Brown. So yeah, it's a fun little lesbian nun movie. (laughs) (laughs) Recommended to us by our dear friend Brand. Thank you, Brand. Going into this movie, the only thing I knew about it was what Brendan had told us. And he described it as a genre that almost can't exist, titled Nunsploitation. <laughs> and that, <laughs> unlike in apparently the heyday of Nunsploitation movies in like the 70s or something, instead of the church getting mad at movies like this, it's now lesbians getting mad because it is just like this straight guy making a lesbian movie. And it, it can only go so okay with that dynamic. <laughs> Yeah, that that is one thing to keep in mind going in if you want to watch Benedetta. If you are like me, then lesbian nunsploitation just sounds like a great fun time. And <laughs> it was and a great like, fun time. <laughs> it was a great fun time. But it is like if you're uncomfortable with some of the voyeurism aspects, yeah, especially like erotic lesbian movies then like you know this maybe is not the film for you it is also very sacrilegious so if that's gonna be something that upsets you then this is not the film for you it's unrated in the u.s because it does have explicit sex scenes and a lot of stuff don't jump into this thinking it's gonna be like just casual but it is really fun yes (laughs) My live reaction when we watched this movie was we were 20 minutes in when the lesbians kissed and I was like, oh, we got here in 20 minutes. Where is it going? (laughs) Because that isn't typical. (laughs) Maybe not for the lesbian movies that we tend to watch. Not the ones we tend to watch. I mean, yes. Yeah. Not the ones we tend to watch. Do you want to do you want to just give a quick overview of the movie now that we've gotten kind of our our content warning out of the way? Yeah. So basically, it's based on loosely based on the real life of a nun named Benedetta Carlini who was promised to a convent as a baby. Her and her mom miraculously survived her birth. And so her dad pledged her to God. She was given to or sent to the convent when she was nine years old. And then through her life had visions and other miraculous instances and seemed to have these mystical experiences. When she gets older into her like 20s and these visions continue She eventually receives stigmata, which for those unfamiliar is when you receive the physical wounds of Christ in your hands and feet and sometimes as well as your head and side. And so she received stigmata and had an increase in visions, was appointed abbess at a very young age in like her late 20s, early 30s, something like that. And then there was controversy surrounding like whether her visions were real And eventually, after a series of investigations, it was determined that they were not real and works of the devil instead of the works of God. And part of the revelations were that she had had a multiple year sexual relationship with one of her fellow nuns, um, Sister Bartolomea. And Bartolomea confessed this to the second round of investigators. And this led to not Bartolomea's confession necessarily. There's some like interesting dynamics there that we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But the whole thing of being determined that her visions weren't authentic led to Benedetta being imprisoned at the convent for the rest of her life. And so that was about 35 years or so. Uh, She died at the age of 71. It is unknown what happened to Bartolomea. It seems like she was not sentenced to any kind of imprisonment. But yeah, that is the very basic overview of Benedetta's real life. And the movie generally sticks to this, but 
there seem it seems like there might have been a few details added in to embellish and some things that got glossed over a little more. Mm-hmm. Like any any sort of based on a true story movie is gonna do that at least a little bit. But for the most part, it sticks with the general details of Benedetta's real life. From the get-go, actually, one interesting difference is the movie doesn't say it explicitly, but kind of implies that Benedetta comes from a wealthy family and that her dad has like monetary influence in the town. Um, And that's not actually true. Benedetta came from the mountain, from like mountain people outside of the main town. And her dad had more money than some, but was really just like middle-ish class. And there's no talk, not in what I found, that he continually gave to the convent. And so Benedetta was just kind of a normal lower middle class girl in a convent, even though historically that is a true dynamic that occurred of daughters of wealthy men being sent to convents for education to pay less of a dowry because it was cheaper than paying a marriage dowry. And it gave independence to the women in a different um, in society in a different way than marriage did. And it was good for the convents to get all this money in from wealthy families. But this was not the case with Benedetta, even though it was kind of implied in the movie that it was. I think that including that, I mean, it's it's an embellishment, but it does seem like that was the director's attempt to make some kind of commentary on how money moves in the church. Mm-hmm. So there's an agenda for this movie beyond just a documentary style dramatization of the life of this interesting figure. It's also like, you know, examining how the church in this time period deals with power. Mm -hmm. And Pesha is a small town in Italy, and it's contrasted with the greater power and influence had by the figures from Florence. They get introduced kind of in the second act of the movie. So we see the small town, big town kind of comparisons and how this town's convent kind of wanted to use Benedetta's fame if they could to seek power, but they also didn't want Benedetta herself to become the figure of the town. They wanted Benedetta to just be a member of the church and give the church the credit for her for her visions, but Benedetta ends up becoming the sole figure that carries that kind of influence and she gets appointed mother superior of the abbey a ways into the movie so it it doesn't work out the way that the people of the convent in pesha wanted to but in the end it all kind of falls apart anyway (laughs) because the people turn on benedetta once she becomes like this influential figure and starts screwing up with letting the details of her private life get get out There's that commentary in the story that I think they must have tried to amplify by making Benedetta's family wealthy and contributing to the church regularly. Yeah, definitely a big part of the actual commentary of the movie is about power, is about power in the church and how people are willing to lie to maintain power or to get power or are willing to overlook things. And that's definitely the stance that the movie takes. Either the stance on the life of Benedetta or just like using Benedetta's story to make that commentary. Historically, I don't have a lot of chill and did a lot of research on the historical (laughs) Benedetta. So (laughs) her visions from early on, what was typical in the Catholic Church, they were met with a degree of skepticism to see like, are these authentic mystical experiences, but no more than anyone else. But as she got older and as like different occurrences continued, like I guess at a very young age, she fended off a large dog successfully. She told a nightingale to stop singing and it listened. Um, The Mother Mary statue, this is a scene in the movie, did fall near her while she was praying once, which was seen as a good sign. The movie scene is very funny. (laughs) The way they dramatize this in the movie (laughs) is that the statue falls directly on top of Benedetta when she sneaks out to pray to it. And so Mother Mary is on top of her. (laughs) This is one of the Mary statues that has just one tit exposed. And 
her face is like right <laughs> near the tit. And so tiny baby lesbian Benedetta just like instinctively mouth on the breast of the mother of God just for half a second. And then <laughs> the people all show up and swarm because they heard a loud noise in the hallway and they help her out from under the statue. But it, it's like, okay. <laughs> Establishes a tone very early on. <laughs> In your lesbian nun movie, it does seem a bit egregious. <laughs> yeah, but more or less happened in real life as far as statue falling. And then she had just like different, a variety of visions involving Jesus protecting her. Some of the visions are shown, some of the actual visions are shown in the movie. One where Jesus gives her his heart. And that scene, I was surprised. Okay, so in this scene... Jesus, what they don't show is when Benedetta gives her heart to Jesus and then a few days later Jesus gives his heart to her so they exchange hearts. And you might know a little bit more about this than I do, Darby, but in some of the commentary I was reading, it talked about like courtly love and exchanging of hearts and the cultural like significance of that and how that was very much underpinned in this like exchanging of hearts with Jesus. It was something that I think St. Catherine also did. Um, St. Catherine of Siena was a big influence for Benedetta. No, I, I'm, I'm so glad because I did multiple research things on courtly love. Like whenever I got the chance to read some medieval literature, that's what really kind of stuck with me is like the tropes and the patterns of courtly love and how romance was this like big constructed spectacle for a lot, for a lot of medieval writing that's been preserved so like the ritual aspect of that and the reciprocity that's expected of that it yeah it totally fits and the fact that you're doing it with jesus just makes it even better (laughs) like jesus as the courtly lover oh my god (laughs) that was a big theme for mystics for like female mystics especially in the catholic church in the like middle ages eking into renaissance benedetta was alive during the renaissance heavily influenced by medieval mystics but oh the scene in the movie where they portray this bartolomea reaches over and feels yes for the heart she's a cellmate to benedetta and so they're roommates she like Benedetta wakes up in the night because she's been having more and more visions lately and so they put her with a cellmate to like you know manage her basically because these are full body experiences sometimes where she gets basically possessed like she needs a minder (laughs) so Bartolomea takes that on also because she wants to try and fuck Benedetta sometimes if she can yeah and so when Benedetta wakes up in the night and says Christ, Christ Jesus gave me his heart. It's so big. Feel it, Bartolomea. <laughs> and it's a very like aesthetically staged scene where their cots are right next to each other and Bartolomea reaches over through the light little gauze curtain that separates them and just feels Benedetta's tits <laughs> a little bit. Like, wow, it's a really big heart, Benedetta. <laughs> Amazingly, (laughs) amazingly, that is like weirdly historically accurate. (laughs) So I found, I tried really hard to find some like original, some translations of original writings about like Benedetta's visions and things. And the only thing I could find in not having, um, not using JSTOR access was some of Bartolomea's comments from the first investigation. So when um, Benedetta was still good and cool and no one like reported on her for anything, Bartolomea was like, yeah, I believe these visions are real. Basically, here's my experience like sleeping next to her. And so she talked about this heart exchange and was like, yeah, I felt when the heart was gone from her and I felt when it returned and it like described a lot of the reaching over and a lot of the feeling of heart over like a multiple days. (laughs) So surprisingly accurate to history, who would have known? Wow, we have documentation of nuns feeling each other's titties. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> We're going to say tits a lot. I'm I'm going to say tits a lot in this episode. I can't speak for Abby. I mean, there were a lot of tits in this movie. <laughs> there were a lot. Of, I think that in movies about lesbians directed by men, there is a greater emphasis on tits than there are for real lesbians. I mean... 
I can't confirm. I can't speak to all experiences. I just feel like men watching lesbians are way more tit fixated than actual real life lesbians tend to be. <laughs> but I don't know. We're get we're getting off topic. You were saying about Bartolomeo's testimonies. Yes. Are, are there any other things that we can confirm? I I, I feel like I know the one you're asking about. <laughs> Or maybe implying. I don't know. <laughs> There's something I really want to know. <laughs> I know. Okay, for the audience, there is a huge plot point in this movie. It becomes a huge plot point where they... So, like, Benedetta has a statue of the Virgin Mary that was given to her by her mother and that was taken from her when she arrived at the convent, but apparently was stored somewhere. So when she became abbess and all of her belongings were given back to her, all of those belongings being um, the dress she wore and then the statue, they are brought to her fancy room where she's abbess now. So one day, Benedetta walks into the room and Bartolomeo is carving something. And she is carving a dildo out of the bottom half of this Virgin Mary statue. <laughs> and, <laughs> and to me, this was one of the clearest examples of how this was absolutely directed by a man. They go and use it like immediately. There was yes! like <laughs> no build up. She's no just like, yeah, up. let's try it out. And then she just goes and lies down and sticks this fucking splintery wood dick <laughs> in her. It's like, absolutely not. Not even going to kiss a little bit first? Like, no, none of that? You're not even going to grab tits unnecessarily? (laughs) Right to it. Absolutely no foreplay. They did establish that it wasn't splintery, though, because they voiced concern and then Bartolome was like, okay, I'll like sand it down or whatever. But then it was just like straight to it. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know how to interpret. That is made up. Okay. It would have been so funny if it wasn't. I know. <laughs> but I can accept this. Unfortunately, this was just like the imaginings of the director or the writer of the script, which feels another moment that feels like very egregious. Like you're going to use the Virgin Mary statue as a dildo. <laughs> okay. I I am obsessed with it. Like it is funny it's so funny i was like screaming when i realized what was going on i also think it would be really funny if you carve yourself this little wooden dildo out of your virgin mary statue and then because it is a wooden dildo that you hand carved and sanded very briefly if you somehow got an infection from that it's like mother mary herself has given you an std and that's beautiful (laughs) The Virgin Mary gave you an STD. Like, how great is that? (laughs) Oh my goodness. And this dildo becomes very important to the plot because it's like the proof. (laughs) It's like the thing they use to convict her to getting burned at the stake. Because they find the dildo in her room out of a little carved out section of pages in a book. It wasn't a Bible, unfortunately, but it was a book. So... It was the book that they were using to teach Bartolomeo to read and write. Yes. So still a significant book. But I like at that point, it's like you might as well just go all the way and have it carved out of a Bible. Like, why not? (laughs) They have Bibles around. (laughs) It's a convent. It would have been a hand lettered, handmade Bible, which would be even better. Like, you're going to destroy some poor monk's work (laughs) to hide your sin of getting fucked by the Virgin Mary dildo. I wish they had I wish they had fully committed to the multi-layered blasphemy there, but yeah. it's enough, I guess. They're like, okay, that's, we need to pull back. <laughs> I don't know. I figure if you can push it, you should push it. Yeah. It's non-sploitation. We're not here because we love Jesus. We're here because we love nuns and watching <laughs> them fuck, I guess. So just go for it. <laughs> So I, okay, here's something that I think would have been so interesting for them to use in the movie, but they didn't. So historical Benedetta, she had a guardian angel called Splendatello. And according to the second round of investigations, when 
Bartolomeo confessed to whatever was happening between them. She talked about how basically Splendatello would inhabit the body of Benendetta when they would have sex. So it was like Benendetta, but it was also Splendatello, which some commentaries would be like, oh, they heterosexualized this relationship. Like that was the justification. There was a lot of pushback against that explanation because of because of the mushy nature of like mysticism and sensuality and the way these gender dynamics work out. But not only would like Benedetta sort of maybe kind of become a man in these situations, after performing sex, he, meaning Splendatello, inhabiting the body of Benedetta, made the sign of a cross all over his companion's body after having committed many immodest acts with her. And I feel like they could have used both Splendatello and this like historical, I think that would have been fun. That's all that I'm saying. That would have been fun. I'm just, <laughs> that's kind of hot. I don't <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'd be down for that. <laughs> like if my if my cellmate says that, you know, she's got to get possessed by an angel and then like has to purge the sin from my body after we've just committed him. I'm like, all right, if that's part of the process. I'm down for that. <laughs> oh, my God. While we're on gender. OK, the thing that truly fully made me lose my mind in Benedetta was not the Virgin Mary dildo. That one I mostly just thought was funny. Yeah. The the thing that actually made the wheels start spinning in my brain was one of Benedetta's visions of Christ. Mm-hmm. So she like the movie has multiple Benedetta Christ visions. And I think that it's beautiful that for like since time immemorial, people have wanted Jesus to be their boyfriend. And <laughs> and she has very boyfriend Jesus imagination in this movie. Like there's a passionate kiss, there's being rescued from attacks by Jesus on a white horse, slashing heads. That was that was sick. I was like, hell yeah, Jesus. And there was one vision where um <laughs> it's you like bouncing i'm so excited it was so cool it went hard it was so cool. okay okay okay, okay. Let, we have to we have to say what it is um so this one vision is she sees jesus on the cross fully crucified jesus arms out bleeding all that but he's looking right at her talking to her and in the vision, she's like woken up in bed and is looking at him. And she's like, what do you, what do you require of me, Lord? And this is the prelude to the giving, you know, each other their hearts kind of sequence in the movie. Like it doesn't happen right away, but like this happens first. She, she's looking at crucified Christ and vision Jesus is explaining how she needs to be willing to suffer for him to receive the blessing he wants to bestow. And she's like, well, what do I need to do? And he tells Benedetta, you need to, you need to take off your clothes, all of them. She's like, really? He's like, yes. And so she's like, okay. And so she disrobes and he's like, now you take off mine. And he's just in the little like loincloth thing, you know, (laughs) like the way, the way Jesus gets depicted on the cross. And so I'm like, are we going to see Jesus dick? We didn't. We saw Jesus pussy instead. (laughs) Which I was like, ah! (laughs) Which like, number one, I guess it makes sense because Benedetta has probably not seen the dick of a human man living in a convent. Number two, the gender that that has. The gender. (laughs) I loved that scene, like, unironically so much. He also says the phrase, it's along the lines of, like, there is no shame when I'm here. Yes! Which is truly beautiful. And what is actually part of her visions, historically, was, like, one of her visions of, like, derobing and him saying that. And then he has a vagina in the movie. It's like, holy shit! It's so good. And honestly, if we're going to quickly talk about the gender of Jesus, the side wound of Jesus is historically frequently depicted as a vagina. So quite a good potential. I don't know what the director was trying to comment on with that move, but it was a good commentary, whatever he was trying to say. It theologically holds water, is what I'm saying. (laughs) 
And there's like, I wish I could remember, it, it's probably a Tumblr post, in all honesty, which like, I can't confirm with any real source or anything, but I don't know. People on Tumblr are nerds, they read things, but they also lie. But I remember reading something about how like, theories about like, possible like, scientific explanations for a virgin birth, re Jesus, I might just be lying completely right now. But No, I know the post you're talking about. It was saying, okay, so if Jesus didn't have a father, that meant there was no Y chromosome to contribute. So Jesus would have had two X chromosomes making him trans. Is that is that the post you're thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. And that is a conversation in like queer theology about like trans Jesus. It's definitely something you could say. I don't think it's the most interesting way to talk about Jesus's gender. Just because it's like, if you're already going on the fact of virgin birth, then like whatever his chromosomes are don't really matter. Yeah. But trans Jesus, you could say Jesus was transed on the cross when he was pierced and had a side wound and then gave birth to the world. So like trans Jesus, there's so many interesting ways to talk about that. And weirdly in this like non-sploitation movie had a beautiful moment about that so (laughs) yeah i mean like ultimately the reason why trans jesus is good is because trans jesus is fun and sexy but there's (laughs) there's thematic Mm -hmm. reasons why it's appealing there's theological reasons why it's appealing and if you really want to go that route there could be scientific reasons but the scientific reasons route is probably the least compelling just because it's like i don't know It still relies on the miracle of God impregnating Mary. I think coming from the angle that we are, it's going to be a lot more interesting to think about, like, thematically, what does it mean in the story of Christ that there's this, like, gendery thing happening? And why do we need there to be a gendery thing happening? There, oh man, there's just, like, always so much, like, gendery things happening with Jesus. So it was not uncommon for mysticism to take on homoerotic tones when it comes to Jesus, especially Bernard of Clairvaux. Bernard of Clairvaux. He was a mystic in the 13th century, I think. No, 14th or 15th century. He would have been almost contemporary to Benedetta, I think. He was a couple hundred years before Benedetta. Benedetta is Renaissance around the 1600s. Bernard of Clairvaux was like strongly middle ages in the 13 1400s a little bit prior to Catherine of Siena who was 1400s okay I had I thought Benedetta was a little earlier yeah I thought so too um they didn't really establish timeline I don't think in the movie I mean there's the fashion that you could look to a little bit yeah like, I knew it was I knew it was like hinging sort of into renaissance florence at least when in the florence scenes just the way they styled everyone but convent fashion didn't change a whole lot (laughs) yeah but bernardo clairvaux he had this whole thing about the song of songs song of solomon and kissing jesus and there's another i don't remember the the guy who said this but there is like recording of some friar or some guy (laughs) writing about how he was envious of nuns because they could marry jesus basically and so they would have to marry jesus for him do it for me Um, (laughs) like gender and any kind of like Gen- not even just like gender in terms of like of a binary of like man and woman that they would have conceived of at this time but also just roles and how roles are gendered and then like hierarchies within that all that was real mushy when it came to like mysticism and when it came to the church in general like often taking on many layers you have the nuns who are kind of like jesus is my boyfriend but also they sometimes identify with mary and so then jesus is their son or they identify together as sisters but then also call each other mother and daughter depending on the hierarchy like all of these metaphors are like very squishy so you can do fun things with that man i wish that i still had access to my syllabus from the love class because we read a lot of mystics in there it might have might have been helpful oh well we did not read Benedetta in that class, but we had a lot of ground to cover. I couldn't find like actual, very many actual writings of Benedetta, but I also wasn't using like JSTOR or anything. I'm sure I could have found a little bit more. She was relatively unknown until Brown published her book in 1986. 
she probably would have been lost to time if Brown actually hadn't. She found these papers of like this weird investigation that happened in Florence or outside of Florence when she was doing research on something else. And so she went down that rabbit hole and was like, lesbian nun, what is going on here? And lesbian, this was a big point of contention in the academics that critique and conversation that followed the publishing of this book, which is like her titling Benedetta as a lesbian, because that would have been obviously very anachronistic. Brown was aware of this. She says it a few times, I guess, in her book where she's like, I know this is an anachronistic name. I'm being descriptive of the relationship that was happening. But the interesting thing or not interesting, but just like, this is a really fun tidbit because basically the way sex was conceived of at the time was that it had to involve a penis. And so like, obviously men and women sexuality made sense to people. Two men made sense to people because penises weren't involved. But two women, even though it was kind of known that like sometimes, sure, maybe that would happen. The idea of like a sustained sexual relationship between two women was like not thought of, I mean, by the, by men, like by the men that right. made up these rules basically. But the scribe, when Bartolomeo was describing their relationship, I guess as time went on, his handwriting got more and more illegible because he was so like disturbed or <laughs> shook or something by what she was describing like it was such a like like so far outside of the imagination of the men at this time that this could like exist between two women that his like handwriting got worse and worse as he was what trying the fuck? to write it down <laughs> <laughs> that's allowed it wasn't it was not allowed should have been though but it wasn't unfortunately do we want to talk about um benedetta's own belief in herself because we see how, like, you know, people at first believe her and then things get called into question and they turn on her. And we see some of the tension in, like, how do we confirm that Benedetta's visions are true? So we have this, like, tension through the story of we're seeing these visions that Benedetta is having and we know that she, like, bodily responds to these visions, but it's kind of called into question whether the movie is trying to mislead us with the vision sequences or whether we need to take Benedetta's side and believe in her own connection with God in spite of the doubt that she's facing. While I was watching the movie, that was one of the main tensions that kind of held me throughout it. We see how the tide kind of shifts against Benedetta, but whenever you have a movie like this where you have a character that's getting visions from God, doubt always plays a huge role. And whether or not the movie chooses to confirm the nature of those visions is always like an interesting choice to me. What Benedetta ends up doing as a film, it sort of takes this middle ground between the visions being real and not. Because when Benedetta has a vision, like when she first receives the stigmata, she is like really bleeding and stuff. She didn't like fake it with something else. But there's the question of did she inflict the injuries herself? or were these truly from God. The mother superior of the Abbey, she doesn't think that the stigmata are fully real because Benedetta has the wounds in her hands and feet and side, but she doesn't have the wound of the crown of thorns. And so she is like, eh, I think that maybe she faked these. So right at the moment when it looks like Benedetta is going to be written off, the Mother Mary statue comes back into play again, falling over again and kind of breaking some some of the things around it. Then everyone rushes in to see what happened and Benedetta is bleeding from her forehead and she's speaking in this distorted, deeper voice, like a man's voice. And this is supposed to be like Christ possessing Benedetta and reprimanding everyone for not believing his bride. It's like right when things are always getting really bad for Benedetta or when it's the most convenient, she will have these visions. You know, as she gets more success, it's like, okay, well, maybe she's inducing these in order to get what she wants. It certainly seems like Benedetta wants God to be on her side in these situations. So it's convenient that that's what's happening for her. But in the end, 
after she gets rescued from her sentence to burn at the stake and she flees the town with Bartolomea, when Bartolomea is like dragging her off the burning pyre, she notices like a little bloody shard of glass at Benedetta's feet. Because right before she gets put on the stake, her stigmata come back. She uses the same possessed low voice to admonish everyone. And when Bartolomea tries to like accuse Benedetta just in private, you know, listen, what what's the deal here? You told me once before that like you get possessed by Christ and then do these things. But like, is that actually what's happening? Are you fully possessed by God in these moments? Or are you faking these visions? Because she thinks that Benedetta is faking it. Benedetta never says one way or the other, really. And I think that the stance the movie winds up taking is that Benedetta fully believes that she is getting possessed by Christ in those moments to inflict the stigmata wounds on herself and speak in the voice and all of that. But she's not acknowledging the possibility of it being a conscious decision that she makes. Mm -hmm. It's like from an external point of view, it seems like she's staging these possessions to be convenient for her but in Benedetta's own mind it's justified that's the conclusion that I got from it anyway I I think that's similarly what I got out of the stance the movie takes too where there's a blurring of lines between what is a quote-unquote authentic vision and what isn't because the first appearance of stigmata based off of what we see as the audience seems to be authentic like she gets out of bed and has this moment and then like collapses to the ground and then she has the stigmata and you're like okay don't really know how when she would have had time to inflict that on herself but then it's only when it's called into question does the crown of thorns appear and that seems to potentially be self-inflicted and that trend toward false visions or false like speaking in this possessed voice the movie kind of implies that it is jesus speaking through her this whole time historically it was both jesus and her guardian angel who would speak through but she would there were reports of her speaking in this man-ish kind of possessed voice even her physical features seeing a change where she becomes more masculinized to viewers who see this but in the movie anyway those lines do get really blurry and toward the end very much seems to be like whether or not Benedetta was consciously aware of what she was doing she was faking at least the later visions even if maybe some of the earlier visions were authentic the other thing I thought was really interesting that the movie did is her early visions seem to be prompted by a sense of guilt or some kind of psychological torment in almost every case or something, some like big emotion. So like one of her visions happens after Bartolomea in front of God and everyone just decides to like goose her um, during choir practice. <laughs> yes, yes. That, that's one of the first like full produced visions visions that we see where Ptolemy just comes up behind her and is just like bonk you kind of feel the slap you're like oh my god <laughs> then in Benedetta's vision she sees like snakes on the floor of the chapel and they're like slithering up her legs and it's like oh my god like is this the way that she transposes a feeling of being like maybe kind of aroused but also kind of violated and upset jesus has to come in and rescue her from that because he like very awesomely slashes all the snakes apart with a sword <laughs> and he's like we're safe now and then he like kisses her a lot it's awesome i i loved the boyfriend jesus visions they were so fun <laughs> Yeah, they were the way that they visualized boyfriend Jesus. And so again, with the psychological thing is there was also this sense of Jesus and Bartolomea being stand-ins for each oh, yeah. other at different times. I was fully, I was fully expecting a vision to happen, but all of a sudden it was Bartolomea's face instead of the actor for Jesus's face. Like I was, I was waiting for one of those. That was definitely another layer of what was happening with Benedetta that was going on there was like some psychological conflict or torment and whatever her feelings toward Bartolomea were like also being feelings that she should have 
been having to Christ or maybe some sense of guilt about everything that was going on and how that sort of develops out into how she can indulge in this relationship with Bartolomea. Like these visions end up protecting her because when she becomes abbess, she has her own big fancy room that no one can bother her in. So her and Bartolomea can have as (laughs) much fun as they want. So I think the movie basically takes a stance that these visions either weren't real and whole, but Benedetta believed that they were, at least believed that they mostly were, or that she was being used by God. And so whatever means she took or felt she could take were justified historically. I talked about this a little bit before, but her visions were believed and sort of the breaking point for her visions was her mystical marriage to Jesus. In the movie, they just sort of say, oh, all these nuns, their whole deal is they're all married to Jesus and they are Jesus's brides. That was it. That's not entirely how like the nun system worked in general, but it was good shorthand for like language that was used later in the movie. In Benedetta's life, she had a mystical marriage. These were entirely uncommon um, when you're talking like this general era. So like one of her big influences seems to be St. Catherine of Siena, who had a mystical marriage to Jesus that was considered authentic, was given a foreskin ring. Catherine. (laughs) And was a bride of Christ in this, not literal, in like the literal mystical sense. Language is squishy when you start talking about mysticism. It's very hard to be precise. So Benedetta also had a mystical marriage, but rather than it being this like vision that happened to her, it was a literal witnessed marriage. Um, So basically Benedetta was like, I had a vision. Jesus proposed to her in this vision on Holy Trinity Sunday. Um, Very romantic. And she said, we are having a mystical wedding. We are having a wedding. I am marrying Jesus. And it was a whole production for the town. And there was this whole staged wedding and townspeople were invited and all the nuns were there. And then there was this marriage ceremony in which Jesus didn't show up (laughs) much to the disappointment of the crowd who were expecting to see some kind of light or voice or something jesus showed up through benendetta in her sort of like possessed man voice kind of thing but the reason people became suspicious is one there was no physical evidence outside of whatever was speaking through benendetta and two the whole thing was basically like Jesus saying, here is Benedetta. She is better than everyone else and you must listen to her. I love her for that. Good for her. Like throw a party where you get to tell everyone that your husband, Jesus, says that you are the best and everyone needs to listen to you forever. End of story. <laughs> So yeah, that didn't go over super well. <laughs> like, it's my day! <laughs> I think that that's actually is a good example of this really interesting thing that is happening with Benedetta's like real story, like historical story, where Benedetta was very influenced by the medieval mystics such as, I keep saying Catherine of Siena, that's who keeps popping up in comparison to her, so the example I'll continue to use, where in like the 13th, 14th century, mysticism was very much accepted as part of the church. And a little bit before then too, like having personal mystical revelations was seen as really good. It gave authenticity to convents. It was a way for women to have authority they were otherwise not allowed to have. And it was a way of self-expression that was allowed in these systems. All of this language that Benedetta uses and these things that happened to Benedetta or that she says happened to her are all things that have happened or approximately happened to other mystics in history. But instead of it staying in the sort of mystical, imaginative, magical kind of realm, they become very like literal and physical. And you see that with her relationship with Bartolomea and her guardian angel in the like historical mystical writings, like having these very blurry lines between spirituality and sensuality was like common. I did a PowerPoint thing at one point called Did This Mystic Want to Fuck God? Um, (laughs) Because honestly, that's what a lot of the writings sound like. That's like, that is the kind of thing that was being written about. Jesus is wooing them. They are desiring God. They want to be filled and all of this stuff. I found some very spicy. I'm just going to read it. Okay. Very spicy quote. Again, with Catherine of Siena. 
<laughs> I gotta find it in my notes. I have seven pages of notes in front of me, so Holy I'm shit. <laughs> I have no chill with this. I just kept reading. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. Oh, here we go. Okay, okay. So this is from an article. Which article is this? Is this... This is not my favorite article. Oh. I didn't cite this. Oh, no. This is from Simon's. Bodily Things in the Brides of Christ. This sacred sensual identification is not unique to Benedetta. Christ was seen as St. Catherine's love. Quotes, putting his right hand on her virginal neck and drawing him toward the wound in his own side he whispered to her drink daughter the liquid from my side it will fill your soul with such sweetness that its wonderful effects will be felt even by the body saint catherine nurtured at the breasts of christ and mary moaned i want the body of our lord jesus christ in church before his bodily fluid from his side but still bodily fluid miraculously satisfied her so that she quotes thought she might die of love so <laughs> It gets it gets weird. It is very fun. So this is very much like what Benedetta was doing is in line with like what was accepted, except she began to blur the lines between what was like mystical and happened in visions and what was happening physically. So she had physical sensual relationships that blurred this like sacred sensual identification. And she had a physical or attempted to have a physical marriage ceremony with Christ as part of this mystical marriage. I think that this like blurring is really interesting historically and that she just like kind of takes it to another level. And I think this makes sense because something else I found is basically there was this move away from accepting mystics and accepting mystical personal experiences around the time that Benendetta is having and then creating who knows. I'm not really going to draw a strict line between whether or not they were authentic. That doesn't matter much to me. But around this time, it, she's alive in like the early to mid 1600s. It is during the Protestant Reformation. And so she's kind of contemporaries with Luther. And the church has been moving away from these personal revelations because of like criticisms and especially criticisms from Protestants about like the power of these mystical experiences and who has them. And there were valid critiques here because the people who were having them were largely like wealthy people in convents or monasteries of some sort and like educated people by and large. There are a few cases of like common people, layperson mystics. And then criticism about how like these holy people would actually act in real life when they claim to have these great visions and connection with the divine. And so the church was moving away from accepting personal mysticism and being much more weary of it and moving into actual into right action and like considering how a person acted and lived their life to be what would make them a saint. And so Benedetta is existing in this in-between time where like mystics were still kind of allowed, but they were much more suspicious. And so she was under a lot more scrutiny than maybe maybe other historical mystics might have been a hundred years before her and is like also writing this like oh it is about how you act writing this line of like I'm having these mystical visions but it is about how we act and how we live our life so it also kind of makes sense to me that that would get translated into a more literal acting out of these experiences very interesting to me about the time Benedetta found herself in and having some of these visions or making them up who really knows Oh, yeah. Speaking of the times. The times. Plague features heavily as an event to mark time, but also as kind of a device in the story. When the church official from Florence tries to roll up to investigate Benedetta, he's not allowed inside the city because Benedetta is doing good pandemic practice and not allowing someone from a <laughs> high contagion area to enter the town. So, you know, there's a there's a bit of there's a bit of drama at the city gates. He is allowed inside and he does actually have the plague. So at the very moment of Benedetta's trial, where she is sentenced to burn at the stake, part of her kind of last ditch effort to save herself from the sentencing is outing the church official to everyone that he's brought plague into our town and um, the former mother superior got the plague from him when she went to go visit him in Florence. She is like fully in the throes of it, has the sores and everything, and shows 
the crowd gathered in the town. Here's proof that he brought plague to us. That's one of the dangers that threatens the town. I mean, like when Benedetta flees the city and then returns, when she's allowed to live as like a, a nobody in the convent, basically. So her power is taken from her. But since she's, you know, given asylum there, it's kind of treated as a result that the town of Pescia was spared from the Black Death. Yeah. God protected Pesha from the plague that completely surrounded it. And the reason that the former um, abbess and the, the nuncio from Florence, the leader from Florence, got the plague was because they were against Benendetta. That was sort of the story that by challenging Benendetta, they brought the plague into the city. And so at this point, the townspeople turn against the nuncio and violently <laughs> murder him. Yeah, it's like brutal. <laughs> like, it's not even just that they kind of like run him out of town. Like this woman stabs him, viciously <laughs> stabs him. There's a beautiful exchange prior to him getting stabbed to death between Benendetta and the Nuncio where he's like already kind of dying and but isn't fully dead yet and so she runs over and is like let me pray for you like can I intervene for you <laughs> and he was like you said that you saw visions of like who's going to heaven and hell like where am we, I we failed to mention that Benedetta briefly died and then came back three days later <laughs> how did we how did we gloss over that no, it wasn't three days it wasn't three it wasn't three days oh. later no my prediction was that it would be three days later but it wasn't it was like a day later when she was being given her last rites then she like dramatically breathed <gasps> and came back <laughs> Like in the coffin laid out. She had these detailed plans for her funeral where she wanted to be carried out by, you know, the novitiates of the convent, all dressed as angels. Yeah. This is, again, something that, from what I could tell, is at least an approximation of something that actually happened. Where, again, it's a literal acting out of a mystical journey that, like, mystics before her had taken of, like, a descent into purgatory and a coming back and, like, mystical death. Like those things were widely accepted, but they stayed in the mystical realm, whereas Benedetta physically acted them out. And that was people were like, this is weird. <laughs> They're like, This is a lot. So the nuncio asked her, where do I end up? And she's like, I saw you in paradise. And then he was like, uh, basically, he went bullshit. Lying <laughs> like, to the end. I know what I've done. Lying to the end. <laughs> Incredible. He's like, I know where I'm heading. And then a woman comes and stabs him in the chest. <laughs> a few times so just out of curiosity i wanted to find out what the mm -hmm. real benedetta's star sign was she was an aquarius january 20th does that make sense i i don't know maybe she's like kind <laughs> of on the cusp between aquarius and pisces which i think really makes sense she wants to be different and also has so many feelings that tracks <laughs> I have not told you my favorite yes, article Yes, what was title. your favorite article? It was a useful article, but mostly the title is what sold it for me. It's lesbianism with an exclamation point at the convent. <laughs> lesbianism at the convent. <laughs> that was on JSTOR. That was on the JSTOR daily blog. It was a gift. I love academics. Beautiful. Oh, I do want to take a slightly serious note, just because I think if we're discussing the historical Benedetta, that it's important to also talk about the historical Bartolomea and what we know about her life, which is really not a lot. Everything that was in the movie, they gave Bartolomea this whole like tragic backstory. I mean, from what I found, we don't really know all that much about her except she was a sister. But I think it's important to just talk about the possibility that the relationship between Benedetta and Bartolomeo was not consensual per Bartolomeo's confession. But there is also some very sticky dynamics at work with like when the story was being taken down and who was recording it and Bartolomeo's potential motives. I just, I do think it's important to talk a little bit about Bartolomea in that when she was giving the, during the second investigation, when she was giving confession about the nature of her and Benedetta's relationship, that she did not describe herself as being an active part of that. 
but that this was also something that they talk about is like the people who were recording it were people of the church who did not imagine women as being in sexual relationships. And that Bartolomeo was doing this confession and likely also attempting self-preservation because if they were found guilty of quote-unquote female sodomy, they'd be burned at the stake, which is what happened in the movie. It's not what happened in real life. So I think it's just worth noting that there is debate about what exactly the relationship between Bartolomeo and Benedetta was. Yeah, historically, there's a lot of details that we just can't know and the way that they chose to depict Bartolomea in the movie really shifts our possible understanding of that. Because whether or not her testimony like from history is entirely accurate, in the movie, she is kind of depicted as the one initiating the relationship. Because Benedetta, at first, is really not very sexual like this is a side of her that she's not really externalized the most that we get are the jesus boyfriend visions and before bartolomea it's very much like rescue fantasies and not really as much sensual but after meeting bartolomea things change and the backstory given to bartolomea in the movie is that she like shows up on the steps of the convent one day like begging for mercy basically because she has been like repeatedly assaulted by her father and brothers for her entire life and when she stands up for herself she gets physically abused and so she's at the point of I can't take it anymore I need a refuge from this and she shows up at the convent and begs for entry and Benedetta's father pays for it and that's how she arrives so she comes from this place of being super traumatized and sexualized and it's kind of set up that you know that's how she knows about these things but it also doesn't 100% make sense I guess because like you know number one people like obviously people respond to trauma in unique ways and so maybe like embracing sexuality in a different context was her way of kind of processing that sexual trauma that like incest trauma that she endured but it's also like if the only kind of sex she had ever experienced before this was non-consensual with male family members who wouldn't have a thought in the world of her own needs or her own like safety how does she know to eat Benedetta out and make her orgasm? Yeah. It's like, okay, this might be another like side effect of lesbian movie directed by a man is you have one like very innocent virginal woman and you have one like hypersexualized, traumatized mm -hmm. woman who knows things and then has to show the other one things, which like, eh, and then, of course, she's the one that gets tortured for information yeah. later. And Bartolomea winds up once again humiliated by men who have mm -hmm. more power than her. So she she definitely gets made like kind of the punching bag of the movie. There are not a ton of men in this movie. It is, for the most part, set in the convent with the other nuns. And there's not any sex with men depicted in the movie, but there is that traumatic history of being sexualized by men for her as a character. So like, you know, I guess like full list of potential trigger warnings for this blasphemy, of course, um, <laughs> explicit sex, um, Mentions of past sexual abuse, uh, depictions of suicide on screen, depiction of assaults. It's like, it falls in line with other exploitation movies of like, you're not just here because of the nudity. Part of the extremeness of the movie also comes in the suffering of some of its characters. 
So this is not the movie for positive representation. No. <laughs> this is this is not it. But if that's something that's not going to ruin your viewing experience completely, it is fun if you can distance yourself from it in that way. But it's it's exploitation cinema. It's it's not going to have a lot of compassion for all of its characters and part of the viewing experience is like watching people pay for what they've done as well as seeing them take the risks to do it. Something to keep in mind. Yeah. It does get a lot to just see the, not only in this movie, but just in movies in general, just like unnecessary or egregious violence against women, especially with the dynamic of it being a a male-directed film. Again, just something to be wary of when watching it or if that's going to impact your viewing. Overall, though, I think that watching the movie is a pretty good time. (laughs) Yes. I was pleasantly surprised by how engaged I was in the film the whole time because I was like okay maybe I I wasn't sure if it was going to be a bad movie that would then be fun to talk about or I I genuinely kind of think it's a good movie that is also fun to talk about I didn't have high expectations going in and I did have fun watching it and I do think overall a pretty good movie (laughs) with all of the caveats we have listed in our conversation (laughs) Yeah, it's not casual viewing. No. But it is like a really interesting movie to watch and more interesting to talk about. Yeah. I wouldn't just watch it by yourself. I would get someone to watch it with you. Or if you don't want to watch lesbian sex scenes together, you can <laughs> you can watch it separately and convene later. Start your own podcast, even. Yeah. Who knows where this where this might take you. You just can't do ours. This theme is taken. Yours can be yeah. only about lesbian nuns maybe you'll watch every <laughs> lesbian nun thing and review them starting with benedetta yeah you can invite us on <laughs> yeah well, we can be we can be your guests and we can say yep to a lot of things that you say do we have any final benedetta thoughts i do I have a poem to share. I am going to give a little bit of backstory to the poem, though. So I have this. What article did I find this in? I didn't cite my sources in my notes. I found this in an article in one of the many articles I read. So sensual erotic relationships between nuns was recorded in existence. This was a thing that happened historically. Makes sense. So Erasmus even compared some convents to Sappho, (laughs) which I think is great. So his quote was something like, the nuns are filled with people more who copy Sappho's behavior than share her talent. So a little bit of a <laughs> I love history These nuns so can't much. Write poetry for shit, but, but they, they sure, sure do fuck. fuck each other. <laughs> <laughs> like damn, Erasmus. Not everybody can be Sappho, but anyone can be gay if they just try it. <laughs> So he's, you know, perhaps correct. But there is a nice little sweet semi-erotic poem written by a nun that I will recite as my closing thought. When I recall how you caressed (laughs) so joyously my little breast, I want to die. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Best poem ever written, possibly. It's the plums in the icebox and then that. Do you have any closing thoughts? My final Benedetta thought is um, if I were a nun having visions of Jesus being my boyfriend, then I think that my favorite Jesus boyfriend moment that I would totally copy the vision from was obviously Pussy Christ mounted on the cross is like forever (sighs) going to change my life. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think my favorite boyfriend Jesus vision was like the very first one where the snakes are going up her leg and then Jesus is like, I have saved you. Come kiss me. (laughs) Because when (laughs) 
When the vision ends, Benedetta opens her eyes and she's like just standing in the (laughs) middle of the room and everyone has stopped singing and is staring at her and she just quietly goes back to her place in line and they continue singing. So I'm like, so this happens yeah. a lot. <laughs> is what I is what I gather from this. I just like I love the feeling that the convent is kind of used to Benedetta's mm-hmm. antics already because the way that they accept the more mundane kind of side of it is very much like there goes Benedetta again. <laughs> I would love to be the the convent's vision. <laughs> that would be a great career path for me. I I know I know that I would do well, and I'm kind of sad that I don't get to be a nun having insane mystical visions and showing up at like morning prayer with my stigmata bleeding all over the place. Like I'm so sorry, I'm so guys. Sorry. I had a rough night. <laughs> she really showed. I'm so. This is so embarrassing. I can't believe I'm bleeding everywhere from the wounds of Christ. Oh How my God. embarrassing! I'm, I'm, uh. I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I remembered one more thing that I want to laugh about in this movie. (laughs) Do you remember the first time that Bartolomea and Benedetta almost kissed? Yes. When they they shit next to each other. The first night she shows up and Bartolomea's like, yo, what's (laughs) this? (laughs) Just to show her the bathroom and how to wipe her ass. And then they're just shitting and farting next to each other. (laughs) And then they almost kiss. That is true love. (laughs) You meet someone that day. That's how you know it's real. in front of them for the first time. And then you almost kiss in the convent bathroom (laughs) without washing your hands (laughs) oh god (laughs) great movie go watch it if you dare (laughs) so that about wraps us up for this episode of sacrilegiosity if you would like to follow us on twitter we are at sacrilegiosity if you have any um, listener questions, if you have any suggestions for future episodes or requests or praises <laughs> or uh, reprimands, whatever, uh, you can direct those to our email, sacrilegiositypod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our personal Twitters. Mine is Wasp Palisades. Mine is am underscore Dolan. And um, we'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.